Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to another episode of the Project Zion podcast. This is Brittany Mangelson, and I will be your host for today's episode. And we are going to be doing a fair trade episode, which is all about faith transitions. And this is actually the first fair trade I think that I have done face-to-face in real life. Normally, I record these interviews, well, all of my interviews, really, on Zoom. So... Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm with my good friend, Laura, which is really exciting. Um, but I just have to say that normally when the other person is talking, I'll push my, put myself on mute and then I can take a drink or I can cough or I can whatever. I mean, I'm engaged in the conversation, but now I feel like I have to be on my best behavior because I can't mute myself (laughs) in real life. (laughs) So this will be fun. Um, but yeah, so I have Laura Pinnock on, and she is a member of the Salt Lake City Pastorate Leadership Team. She and I served together in the Salt Lake Congregation. And I have to admit, I've been a little bit hesitant to ask too many people from my congregation to be on Project Zion because I don't want to be that person. And I don't want to make this podcast Salt Lake-centric because it's not about Salt Lake City. So, uh, but... Laura's story, I think, is unique, and it's one that I've wanted to share for quite a while now. And so we are finally face-to-face, and we're going to do this. Yay! So, Laura, why don't you just give us uh, your elevator pitch of who you are? Okay. Uh, So I grew up in a place called Paradox, Colorado. And if you don't know where that is, well, it is right next to Bedrock, Colorado. So that's orienting us in space. Um, in time, it was my parents, my father grew up there. It is a very small, isolated valley, um, about 50 miles or so from Moab. So if you know where Moab is and where Telluride, Colorado is and, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, um, is kind of in that area. So. We grew up there. My dad grew up there. My grandpa had been um, brought there as a child. So he grew kind of grew up there too. And there were about 200 people there when we lived there. And so if you saw a dog walking down the road, you knew its name and who it belonged to. And if somebody got a new car, you knew. It was like, oh, whose car is that? You, know, you just kind of knew everything about everybody. Well, my, um, my parents are very devout, believing, completely unquestioning Mormons, and they always have been. And so I grew up in that kind of a household, but I never, I never really felt enfolded in a congregation, even though it, that seems kind of weird coming from something, someplace so small and isolated. But my mom is a convert to the church, and she also came from Texas. And the way my parents met is my dad was doing work for the telephone company when they were switching over from from the the operator where you had to go through an operator to the rotary to the rotary dial. So okay. they were changing like the they had to put up new wires and all that kind of stuff. So he got transferred down to um, the Houston area, which is on the Gulf Coast in Texas, and was set up with my mom on a blind date down there. 
So they ended up getting married and um, then they, after a little while, they ended up moving back to Paradox because I really think that they were sort of running from the world. They were a little afraid of what was going on. This was the late 60s. And so there was a lot of racial unrest that, you know, my mom had lived through and witnessed. And and it was just, there was just a lot of things that I think they felt like that it wasn't safe. The world was no longer safe. And so they sort of had this hideaway, this hiding place. And it was, it was going to, you know, I mean, my dad grew up there in the 30s, mm. and it was, you know, it just seemed like a very safe sort of place for, to, to a great kid place to raise kids. Well, it's not, or it, it was when he was growing up, but it was not when I was growing up because, um, first of all, my parents were both college educated and they were, I think, the only people that I knew, I think, that my family was the only kids that I knew that whose parents were both um, college graduates. Uh, there were some kids who's, who had one parent who was a college graduate, but it was kind of, it was kind of rare. It was farming and uranium mining was the big, the big thing that people did there for a living. And so it was kind it was really, uh, it was a rough, it was a rough um, sort of crowd, I guess. And, Mormons, as Mormons, we were a minority there. And um, my, my mom is, my parents are both real big doers. And my mom loves to organize parties and activities and stuff like that. And so she came down there, they're both school teachers. And so they came down there and essentially just sort of took over the school and took over the church. And that did not sit well with the people who were already there and felt like they were the ones who were in charge of everything. So it was a really isolating experience because the kids would go home and their parents would talk bad about my parents and about how, you know, they thought that they were so much better than everybody else and stuff like that. So we were really marginalized and um, it was just really tough. And so I left at... I left at 18, went to Snow College where I was enrolled, and that's pretty much it because my, I mean, if you've ever read Educated by Uh, Tara Westover. As you were talking, I was thinking of that book. (laughs) Yeah. The struggle is real. I totally get it. I pretty much... The, the school system down there was what would be called now a failing school district. And I really pretty much left there with about a third grade education mm-hmm. and thought I was stupid and, you know, and was incapable. And, and, you know, and I didn't, I had no job skills. I had no, I had no idea what I could or couldn't do or what was even available in the world. Had you, know? you been, I mean, I want to say this delicately, but had you just been uh, pushed into this idea that marriage and motherhood and like that was your only path? I mean, did you even have any concept that you should have more of an education or more of an opportunity to work? I was going to college to get my MRS degree. Okay, that's what I was wondering. (laughs) Yes. The Mrs. Degree. Yes. So um, I left Snow College at the end of that year with a 0.89 GPA. 
Obviously, I had no business being there. And then I spent a few months at home just kind of, and those few months are just kind of a blank to me. I don't really remember. I was kind of, I mean, I would, I was just completely adrift. I had no idea. And my mom said, well, why don't you go to beauty school? And I'm like, okay. So I did. I still have an active cosmetology license because I have kept that up for 130 years. (laughs) (laughs) Every few years they say, pay us money. So I pay them money and they give me a license. But I did do hair for a while. Um, but it was a long time after that. And it was shortly after I got my cosmetology license that my parents did a, um, a Colorado history field trip for their fourth, fifth, and sixth graders every year. And one of the places they went is Silverton, Colorado. And that is the end of the line of the Durango Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad. So it's this little tiny, you know, and so they were up there and saw a help wanted sign in one of the places up there. So me and my sister went up there for the summer. And I met this guy from Boston. Um, he had been hitchhiking across the country, headed for California, and ran out of money there. And he picked me. And that, you know, that was, that was all that mattered. <laughs> he picked me. Well, a year and a half or so later, he said, well, do you, we were living together for a while. And he said, so do you want to, you want to move, go, you know, go back to Boston with me? And I'm like, okay, you know, here I am, this totally, you know, just completely clueless, uneducated, unformed, timid little dust bunny, you know, okay, I follow you along to Boston, you know, and oh my goodness. She's literally hopping across the table. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, had no clue, no clue what I was about to get myself into. Well, Boston is a foreign country if you have been raised in that sort of way and in the Western United States, because the, everything is different. The climate is different. The culture is different. The architecture is different. And they do not speak English there. <laughs> so <laughs> here I was trying to make my way. Um, trying to just figure it out. And turns out his mother was a falling down trunk. His parents were divorcing at the time that we sort of landed back there. They should have been divorced before Jonathan, that was his name, was born. Um, his father was this, this slightly handsome older man who was completely shallow utterly self-absorbed and Jonathan craved his approval. Well, Jonathan, it turns out like I didn't, like I didn't know this. Okay. He had been drinking since he was 13 years old. Wow. He had been in a car accident at 17 drinking and driving and killed someone. So by the time that I met him, his license had been revoked for 10 years and I knew all of that. And I knew he was an alcoholic. I mean, Hello, it was pretty darn obvious, but okay, when you are raised in a patriarchal religion, one of the things that you are told is a good woman can save a man. You can change him. You can, you can have such influence. Oh, I had, I was deep in my Messiah complex. I was gonna fix this. Mm. 
we ended up getting married and, um, thank you, God. I did not have any children with him. So when the time came, I was able to just leave and I did, but leaving was, there was this huge journey. I was out one night walking his dog, paying nothing, no mind. And God spoke to me and said to me in a way that I could not misunderstand. You are not stupid. And that blew my world wide open. I was still an uneducated, unformed, timid little dust bunny, but I had a mind. And I started like that very day, just, it was like, okay, everything, everything is possible now. All of a sudden, everything was possible. And it was a couple of years later when I did leave him. And the reason why, you know, I, I knew I was leaving and um, I was looking for a roommate and we had a rather difficult evening one night. And um, I was just, I called in at work and they kind of knew what, that my marriage was falling apart. And I said, I had a tough evening last night and I'm just going to stay home. And they're like, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And I was sitting on the couch in my apartment, completely alone. Again, a completely empty mind, just staring at the walls. And God, again, spoke to me, go home and go to school. And it was so right that I called up the airlines. I bought a plane ticket. I went in the next day and gave my notice. I went and I left. Wow. It was like two weeks later, I was on a plane heading back home. I So I was going back to college and I was really, really nervous about this. I was like, okay, I am going to do this and it's going to be hard. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get through it because I need this degree, you know, it sort of thing. Well, two weeks into college and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just fine. Thank you very much. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> I loved it. My second time through college, I was ready. And it was it was a fabulous experience. And um, so I started out at what was called Mesa State. And it's now something else. It's in Grand Junction, Colorado. And transferred from there after two years, I transferred up to the University of Utah. And so that's where I met my current husband. He's in the chemistry department or in the, um, he was taking, um, getting a bachelor's degree in chemistry. And I was getting a bachelor's degree in English. And we met at this little research lab that was connected to the university. And it was a nuclear chemistry lab. They were doing some sort of things. Well, they had this obscure conference and they had a whole bunch of papers from all over the world that they needed to have them made ready for publication. So they were looking for a work study student to be an editor. And so I walked in, you know, I thought, oh, they probably have a million candidates for that. Well, no, they didn't. <laughs> I walked in and they're like, yes, when can you start? So that was a really fun job. And I edited, um, copy edited those papers that for that conference and for the next one. And that's where um, Kelly was working. And um, we, so we met there and we ended up getting married and I was inactive at this point. And so was he, because he was inactive because he didn't like Ezra Benson. He thought mm. that he was like this crazy, you know, and he, he was, he was this crazy wacko, this really right wing, you know, I mean, he was, he was off the wall 
And so, but I was inactive because I had drifted away after I left home. There was nothing to hold me there and there was nothing to anchor me there. And, you know, and I was, you know, dealing with life and, you know, this, this family that I found myself in, in Boston was, they were not interested in religion at all. And, you know, and I wasn't, I really wasn't either. There was just, there was nothing really there. Although I had never shed my sort of Mormon identity and my Mormon sort of convictions, Mm -hmm. which is like in the background. So I I have a quick question about that because you said that, you know, you had at least two very distinct moments where you felt like God was directly just putting something into your mind and and you, you acted on it. You know, that changed the trajectory of your life. So, but because you weren't quote unquote active or Uh worthy and and I'm doing air quotes (laughs) in the eyes of the LDS church, Mm -hmm. did that, I mean, how did you reconcile that? Because a lot of times you think that if you're not living correctly, then God won't talk to you. You can't feel the spirit, et cetera. So was that? That was something that surprised me, but I took it. And later um, when I did go back, I was teaching a Relief Society lesson and we were, I think we were talking about the Holy Spirit and somebody said, Oh, well, you know, but the Holy Spirit will leave you if you're not living the way you should. And I said, I'm going to push back on that. (laughs) There was a time when I was not in any way living like, you know, you guys would consider righteously and the Spirit not only dwelt with me, but spoke very, very clearly to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it just kind of, and she was like, oh, oh, well, well, you know, and other people spoke up as well and said, that's been my experience too. That's, mm-hmm. you know, so I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to, but I was not going to let that slide because I knew that that was not, that was not the way it worked. Yeah. And I didn't really have any, I didn't really, it wasn't really something that, that sort of, that I connected at the time that it happened. But later I was like, you know what? No, I was, you know, no, I was living in sin and, you know, it had been and had been, you know, experimented with some drugs with this guy. And it was, you know, I should have had, if that was the case, if that's how it really worked, I would not have had the spirit with me at all. And it was perfectly clear to me that I did. Yeah. (laughs) So... We, anyway, I, so, okay, Kelly and I got married and his family is also very TBM, very, um, true believing Mormon or true blue Mormon, which is, <laughs> that's what TBM is. And his mother is kind of, I, you know, I always thought that she was sort of the perfect Mormon woman. And I still kind of do because she is, she has absolutely no doubts and it's not that she even i mean she does it wouldn't occur to her to have doubts mm-hmm. it, even even with family members who are you know not always faithful and it just wouldn't occur to her to have any doubts at all that you know this is this is the way it is and the prophet is the prophet and the prophet, what the prophet says is the you know is is the voice of god speaking straight to us and for the whole world you know all of the stuff she just completely it's hook line and sinker it's it's just she's completely all in and you know my mom is kind of like that too but i always thought my mom was a little more nuanced and, and thoughtful and i 
she has gotten less so. <laughs> She's gotten older. <laughs> Fox News and all. Um, <laughs> and so, so we had, we had our first kid and, and Kelly said, well, and I, okay, back up before I married Kelly, I did something. I was like, I was pissed at God because I, when I came back to, to, back home to go to school, I also went back to the church in a big way. And that's when, you know, I ended up, I went and got, took out my endowments. I was going to make this work. Mm. And, and I had an experience that made it very clear to me that women and evil were two sides of the same coin in the, the eyes of the church. And I, I, that blew my faith up completely. I was, I was really in a bad way there. And so that's, why I was inactive when I met Kelly. But I saw also during this time period, I saw um, a Carolyn Pearson do Mother Wolf the Morning. I almost didn't go because I'm like, she's a Mormon poet. This is all I knew of her. She's a Mormon poet. Do I really want to, you know, know any, do I really want to hear from a Mormon? It was like, yeah, okay, I'll go because I really liked her and stuff. Well, I, Oh my gosh, you know, I ended up sitting in the car after, after I left there. I couldn't even drive. I was crying so hard for like half an hour. And so that uh, introduced me to the real Carolyn Pearson. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was kind of in this place where it was like, okay, well, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you do, I don't know what an appropriate place in my life for you is, but you know where to find me is what I said. You know where to find me. And so when Kelly said, oh, I think we should start going back to church. I was like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so we did, we went back and, um, started going to church and I took my doubts with me and, it was, you know, after that period that I spoke back to this Relief Society, you know, this Relief Society thing about, no, you know, the spirit will leave you if you're not living in the right way. And I'm like, that's not true. So I I gave a couple of, I was always called as a Relief Society, a Relief Society teacher. And I loved it. I loved that calling. And, but I, I was always skating the edges of orthodoxy. And sometimes I sort of fall, fell off the edge. And on at least one occasion, I was told by the Relief Society presidency that, um, yeah, you know, stick to the script sort of thing. <laughs> I got told that too, but I quoted Sherry Dew and oh. that's what got me in trouble. Ooh. So go figure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I I knew I was going off script with that particular time because I was like, we were talking about creation, the fall. We we're talking about the fall. And I was like, you know, talking about, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you were created in the image of a male God is how I started that, you know, oh. in front of a relief society. And I just felt really um, inspired, like really pressed to, to speak the way I did. And there was a woman I found out, after I was told that, you know, that really probably, that was, you know, I'd fallen off the line, fallen off the edge. I found out that there was a woman who was a 
who had, was a recent convert and she, she did not last very long in the church, but she was a recent convert and she was actually there that day and she had been prompted to come that day. You know, she was like, oh, I don't really want to go, you know, no, you need to, you need to go today. And so I was speaking directly to her. I found out. So anyway, you know, just if you're inspired, just go with it because <laughs> somebody needs to hear it. Even if it gets you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, we moved through several wards. Let's see. We were in a ward in Ogden when we started going back. So we were living there. And then we went to Dugway. We were living there for five years. So I was in a in a, a ward there. And then we were in Tooele for a couple of years. And then we moved from there to Ohio. And so we were in Ohio for five years um, with – it was job um, relocation. And – and they called me there to the Relief Society presidency. And I was like, you want me? I mean, you no, you want my mother-in-law. You don't want me, you know, sort of thing. So I I served there for a few years until I um until that job fell through and we ended up back. Kelly was working back at Dugway, and there was no way I was moving back to Dugway. And I said this is the last move I'm making. So this is it. So we ended up in Bountiful where I am now and where they're going to have to take me out feet first and probably burn the place behind me because of all of my stuff. My kids don't want to deal with it. But the, of course the ward house is right across the street and I was so exhausted. It had been a really grueling five years. Our marriage was really, really rocky and, um, I was, I was contemplating divorcing him and I, you know, but I, I didn't, I thought, you know, we're, we're, we're not fighting openly or anything like that. And there's no violence in the house or anything like that. And, but if I, if I divorce him, then he's going to have time with the kids where I won't be able to be there and to take them out of situations where, because he was being emotionally abusive to them. And, um, so anyway, it was just a really, really difficult period there. And so we came back here and I was completely exhausted and Sundays were for sleeping. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to church because first of all, I'm kind of like, uh, and, and I'm tired and it was a big ward and, and there were people who had been there. I'd lived in the neighborhood all of their lives. I mean, their whole lives. And they were, you know, they were married and had grown kids and grandkids and stuff. And then there were the, we had this apartment complex of some sort that, so we had these young, very young transient group that kind of went, came and went. And so, but at one point, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter did, get into get enfolded in the young women's program there. They took her in and they treated her really well and and she just really really loved it and um she was actually considering she was preparing to go on a mission mm. when um the exclusion policy happened. Wow. And that blew her violently out of the church because she has LGBT friends and she's so she's still very angry about that. And during that time, 
um, of course, ordained women in 2013 just yeah. sort of burst on the scene. And well, I was like, about that. yeah, ordained women. <laughs> I think that's how I was initially <coughs> contacted with you. Well, I think we met at the counterpoint conference in, I don't know, 2015, but I had been secretly stalking you online with um, your stuff with ordained women really? before that. So I did not. I, I think that the first time we met was at women's retreat, that first women's retreat. Well, okay. Was, so yes, you, officially. Okay. But I think that I, Again, I just feel like I was a fangirl of yours for a while because <laughs> I am a Because you spoke at Counterpoint. That's right, I did. And, sort of but I mean, up. maybe Counterpoint, I don't remember if Counterpoint was before or after that women's retreat, but it was all kind of that same yeah. time. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Let's talk so about that. I kind of got wind of this ordained women launch, um, you know, meeting and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds, you know, yeah, I think I can get on board with that sort of thing. So I went and I was the first one there. So I walked into this room at the University of Utah and there were these four women up at front and then there was me and we were kind of standing looking at each other going, is this going to be it, you know, sort of thing. And the room did fill up and I was like, these are my people. I can stay in the church with these people. I can, I, I have a home here. So I participated in both of the priesthood or all of the priesthood actions that we did. And I, I participated in all of it. It was, it was just really good. And I had really high hopes. Um, that first, especially that first action, I thought, you know, there's no way they're just, they can't, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to hear us and it's going to change everything. And we're going to, you know, it may take three or four years, but they're going to, you know, they're going to see the error of their ways and yeah, it didn't happen. So, um, I ended up, I ended up pretty much leaving the church. Um, especially after Kate was excommunicated, I was just like, this, this is not a place for me. There's not going to be, there's just, there's just no way. And so I started shopping around. Well, my daughter also was like, I want, you know, I want to go look at some different churches. And, and so we started church hopping and, and I found the United Church of Christ has a, um, has a congregation in Bountiful. And I was, I started kind of settling, I sort of settled in there for a bit. And I was, I was going back and forth between there and Community of Christ here in Salt Lake. But during that time, I was in, I, I still am in this little choir, this little community choir. It's LGBT community choir. And, and Robin was in the choir <laughs> and she happened to say one day, well, you know, we're, we're having this women's retreat. I think you might really like it. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it just gave me the information and I signed up and, and then I loaded up and, and, and started driving up there and I got, it was at Camp Redcliffe. So you turn off of the sort of highway through Huntsville. You turn off onto this road. You go up the canyon a little bit. You turn off of that into the campgrounds. You turn off of that onto a little dirt road. I was on the dirt road, and I was just like, what am I doing? I can't find this place. Oh, my gosh. What? And I don't know anybody. I barely know Robin. I'm going to spend the weekend with these people. What am I thinking? I almost turned around. This was yards of the campground, you know, within yards of the campground there. And yeah. I almost turned around and, I, but I didn't. I, I ended up going up there and going in and, and it was this 
fabulous spiritual weekend that, that, you know, just, I, oh, I needed it so bad. I, I cried the whole weekend and, and I met Monica and I met Brittany and, <laughs> yeah. and so, and that kind of brought me to coming to community of Christ occasionally. And so the Salt Lake congregation, I was kind of going back and forth between the two and not really sure where I was going to end up or what I wanted to do or anything like that. And, and then of course I did, I did the any opposed thing. Good. I was going <laughs> to bring it up if you didn't. <laughs> I was really, um, so, well, first of all. Explain it. Yeah. yeah explain I, it to the people. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I, I made myself persona non grata in my congregation, my LDS congregation first by they asked my daughter to give a talk and she's in sacrament meeting. And she said, well, I will, if you will ask my mom. And I had gone in and told my bishop that I was involved in ordained women. I felt like that they had fair warning. So they asked me and I said, well, sure. So they, you know, gave me a copy of this talk. This is what we want you to, this is the talk, essentially, you know, a general authority talk, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was entitled come unto me. And that's, I started at come unto me and, left the rest of it behind. And I got up there and I spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, it did not go over well. So anyway, <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm done here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Made my move. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like, yeah, because I knew that, you know, this was... <laughs> Yeah, this was not going to go well. And, and, but I let them do what they were going to do. And I, you know, I sort of assumed that they were going to, you know, that they were going to call a, a disciplinary council. And they didn't. They just, you know, I think that I was informally disfellowshipped because I was released. I was a um, visiting teacher at the time and they released me from that. They, they sent the Relief Society president to tell me that I could no longer be a visiting teacher. That happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wait, was this before any opposed or was it just that was, around the same set? Time? That was um af that was before okay. because any opposed was shortly after that. Okay. I was like okay. so I caught wind of this thing, you know, where they were gonna oppose a general conference and I mean it was like a blip on the social media. It just like sort of happened and then disappeared and yeah. you know, you're supposed to write to this Well, so because there's no actual voting at an LDS conference, it's just all sustaining. So there's, there's nothing that you actually vote on. You're just voting to sustain the leaders. So nobody opposes out of like thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people that attend conference. Nobody opposes. Yeah. So what they do is they say, you know, they present the names and then they say, any, um, all, all in favor. And so everybody, of course, raises their hand and then they Very say quietly and politely. Yeah. And it, they say any opposed. And of course, there's never, you know, anybody opposed. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, the, it's unanimous, you know, sort of thing. And, and it's just kind of this, this sort of, they just sort of go through the motions. So it's very different than community of Christ because like, yeah, you just don't do that sort of thing. And so I saw this little thing, you know, just contact this, write to this website, and we will tell you sort of where we're going to meet and what's going to happen and stuff like that. So I had no idea who these people were. And I thought about it for quite a quite a while before, you know, because I knew that this was going to be a serious thing. And so I, 
I, I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. And I told my family, I said, I said, this may actually get me excommunicated and I am prepared. I am prepared to be excommunicated over this because I believe that the brethren are completely wrong. They are, you know, they are just, they are not prophets and seers and revelators and they are, they are just, they are just wrong in so many ways. And so, um, I went and I, cause I didn't know who it was. I showed up that day. It was a Saturday session of conference and I didn't have a ticket to get into the conference center. And so I just, they said, if you don't have a ticket, just go in, you know, into the tabernacle. So I did. I went into the tabernacle and I sat right in the middle of the floor there. And for anybody who has not been in the tabernacle, it's that historic building with the organ and where the tabernacle choir used, you know, it performs and, and has their sort of home. And the acoustics in this building are phenomenal. There's a main floor and then there's a sort of a balcony that sort of is around um, three probably two thirds of the building, you know, just up a little bit higher. And you can stand in at the, um, at the rostrum and have somebody standing in the back of that building and you can speak to them in a normal speaking voice and they can hear you clearly, perfectly clearly. If you drop a needle or a pin on there, you can hear it. If you drop a pencil on there, it is loud. So the acoustics there is like, no, it, I mean, it, yeah, you don't have to speak very loudly in there to be heard throughout the whole thing. So I'm sitting there. I didn't know who else was involved. I didn't know if anybody else was there. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And so we're, you know, they started coming to the sustaining and I was sitting there going, oh, it's the moment. I want, you know, I thought I sort of had this vision of, you know, a hundred people standing up in the tabernacle posing, you know, and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. Oh, you know, I I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. But then I knew as soon as I thought that, that if I didn't do it, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And so they, they asked for the sustaining vote of the first presidency. And I stood up and said, I oppose. And nobody else stood up but said anything. (laughs) And I sat back down and I was kind of waiting for somebody to come and, you know, like, yank me out of my seat and, and, you know, fling me out the doors or something. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happened. So I had, of course, I had to sit there through the rest of the session, not having any idea, you know, sort of if anybody else said anything. Well, it turns out there were seven of us and the other six had gotten um, tickets to the conference center and they were sitting together in there and they actually did oppose that. But I was just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the lone person in this tabernacle. <laughs> there were I oh I have to say there was two guys who were sitting down in this on the stand down there. One of them was behind the rostrum and I couldn't see him, but the other one responded as if I had walked up and slapped him in the face. I was just like so that made me smile. <laughs> but I was just sitting there and so and I walked out and nobody said a peep to me. Nobody. And, and so I went up to, went up to City Creek where we were supposed to meet afterwards. And it was this one guy who was talking to the media. Nobody else wanted to be seen on camera or anything like that. And so, um, I, I walked over and I said, Oh, this is any opposed. And said, yeah, this, he says, yeah. I said, 
oh, I was in the tabernacle, so, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah, so, but nobody said anything to me. And my state president didn't say anything, and my bishop didn't say anything. And, of course, Elder Uchtdorf, after fumbling around, like completely gobsmacked that somebody <laughs> had stood up and opposed and did not know what to do about that, stood up and said, well, well, if you have, you know, you need to, if you have, those who have concerns need to go and speak to their state presidents. Excuse me, I was not going to go st- speak to my state president because I knew that, first of all, that was not going to go anywhere. And secondly, it was like, whatever, you want to excommunicate me, come, come find me, you know, sort of thing. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep my composure and this is where if we were doing it on Zoom, I would totally just be laughing hysterically <laughs> on mute. But, uh, and I'm laughing because it, it seems so ridiculous now it, to where yeah. we're at, you know, yeah. I mean, I just did a Facebook post not too long ago about a woman who openly opposed Words of counsel at World Conference, and it was normal and natural and yeah. fine, and everyone was okay with it, and we let her have her space, and I celebrate that. Yeah. And so, it just, look how far we've come. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it just... Yeah. Oh, it, was, it was not long after that, I think, that I ended up, you know, just sitting down and going, okay, I need to know where I belong. I, am I, am I supposed to be here at, at, um, UCC or am I supposed to be at Community of Christ? And, and it was very clear to me that I needed to be at Community of Christ. So I ended up joining, um, Community of Christ. It was two and a half or so years ago. And, um, then Carla asked me to be a member of the pastorate and I went, what? You want me? Are you sure? I'm not one to really, you know, be respectful of rules and stuff like that. So maybe you better think about this. And she said, oh, no. Oh, no, it's good. I want you. I think you'd be great. So I'm a member of the pastorate. And it has been great. (laughs) It has been really fun. It's been been a real trip. So, yeah. So this is Thursday night. And um, on Sunday, we will have a business meeting where they will... Um, where my call to priest will be presented to the congregation. So that's the next big thing in my spiritual journey, I guess. <laughs> so, and okay, I got, I have to say, I have to say this because I know if there are any of you who are family and friends listening to this and, um, are hearing about my, my upcoming my, about my priesthood call, or there are people who are saying, oh, well, you were a member of ordained women. So, wow, good for you. You finally got what you wanted. I am here to disabuse you right this minute. I have not by any means gotten what I wanted. What I want with ordained women is I want all of my sisters in the LDS church to have full citizenship in their spiritual community. That is what I want. And I have not gotten that. I'm not, it's not even close. So yeah, I have accepted a call to priesthood here in community of Christ because this is my spiritual journey. And, um, but it does not mean that I came here looking for this or that I decided I needed to join a congregation where, or a, a denomination where I could have the opportunity to have the priesthood. And 
If you do not want the priesthood, if you're one of these women who is simpering around going, oh, I just don't really want the responsibility. Oh, no is a word. <laughs> so, oh, my friend. <laughs> so good. I think it's good that you, you bring that up though, because I know for me, and, and this is, I mean, I, I want to ask you some questions about this yeah. because uh, I know for me, when I was first called, I was worried about how it would look to mm-hmm. everyone. It was like, oh, Brittany got upset when Kate Kelly was excommunicated. Then she just went and joined this church that immediately scooped her up and ordained her. And that, I had this serious, I don't know, cloud of shame, cloud of I was then proving everybody right. So yeah. um, it took me a while to, I mean, I said yes to my call relatively quickly within mm-hmm. just a few weeks, but it took me months and months to really feel okay about it and really like years. Yes. <laughs> and every every step that I've taken in Community of Christ, every uh, thing that I've said yes to, I still kind of have to shove that out of my mind of like... You're not just proving everyone right that thinks you left because you were this feminist that just needed more power. And yeah. Because the reality is, his ministry is pretty crappy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's tough. Yeah. It is tough. <laughs> I mean, it's it's mm. not that if 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 everyone's life was perfect, we wouldn't need ministers, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, and here in Salt Lake, we're dealing with such a population that has been marginalized that have left the predominant religion. And so the culture is really thick. The family shaming is really thick. I mean, it's, it's a tough gig. So I'm wondering as you were saying yes to not only membership, but then being on the pastorate and then ordination and all the things, uh, how have you kind of broken through that shame? Like, the cloud yeah. of shame that I still feel like yeah. kind of follows me sometimes. Yeah. Um, part of my discerning this path, where where was I going to be? Was I being called to the United Church of Christ and the Bountiful Congregation? Or was I being called to Community of Christ? Part of that was a call to priesthood. I knew that if I was going to be going to, if I was going to join Community of Christ, that a priesthood call was was going to be part of that. I, I knew that from the beginning. So that's something that I had, a, you know, a couple of years to really kind of think about and to, to watch. And one of the things that I have to say, my friend Brittany's behalf here, I was delighted to see her finally start saying, I am an ordained minister. <laughs> I am an ordained minister in another congregation. And it's like, you know, owning that online, I'm like, oh, you go, Brittany. It took me a while, like it did. years after my ordination. And now I'm like, no, you're saying something false about my church. Yeah. I know the thing, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's taken me a while to get there. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, it was this, you know, I mean, I did have some baggage to work through. And I, I have not told my parents, I have not told my husband's family, um, about this, this priesthood call. And I've not, I will not be inviting them to my ordination mm-hmm. and because it won't mean anything to them. And, yeah. and if it does, what it would possibly mean to them would be negative. And it's like, I, you don't need to be here. You, you're not a part of this. You don't understand this. You don't accept this. So, you know, um, I am doing this because God has asked me to do this. And so I don't need you here. 
even though, you know, it would be nice for them to be able to be here and to celebrate that, but they, they would not be celebrating it. They would, it would be this, well, you finally got what you wanted sort of thing. And, yeah. you know, so yeah, I did have to think about it a lot. What does priesthood mean? What does it mean to be called to priesthood? And, you know, in, when I first sort of came to it, it was like this, you know, I just had this, I had to break down the hierarchy, really, mm-hmm. sort of thing of being chosen and of being special and of being selected and of being, you know, one of the elect or, you know, whatever. All of those sorts of notions were all swirling around. So I had to take them each and, and look at them and turn them over and examine them and, and before I could set them aside and come to understand that priesthood really is it is servant leadership. It is truly servant leadership. You are here to help, to, to offer yourself, um, in hopes of helping someone to, to move along in their journey and, you know, wherever it may take them, you know, they come in through the doors and, you know, we welcome them and we give them materials and we tell them we have these certain resources available and stuff. But, and you can take it or you can leave it and you can, you can come and go as you please. There is, you know, we are not out to, to scoop you up, you know, and keep you as ours or whatever, because that may not be their journey. And that's that, you know, you have to be open to that sort of meeting people where they are and, and facilitating their, their path and their journey and helping them discover who they are and what God is calling them to and, Things like that. So, yeah, there's just, and I really like that so much better than, you know, being elitist and chosen and, you know, I mean, those sorts of things that, oh, you know, you're so, you know, I just, I just really resonate so much better with that. Just, you know, being, being someone who can offer, who can offer myself and the things that I have experienced and say, this is what, this is what happened to me. And this is how I handled it. And this is what I've struggled with. And, and to be able to sit and and listen to their stories and, and, you know, people, people really want to be, people need to be heard. That's, that's the first step in healing is to be heard without being judged or without somebody telling you, well, you should do this, or you should think that, or you should, 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 should. So, Yeah. Yeah, and I love that the office of priest, that that's what the focus is, is yeah. is focus on friendship, on relationship, on shared stories, on just being with people, partaking of bread and wine, and just being present with the person in the moment. So yeah, I'm really excited for you. I think you're going to make a great priest. And it was like when they, when I, I, you know, started taking the classes. I, I accepted the call and then I was like, yeah, that, that, I think that's right. And then I started taking the, um, ministry of the priest, um, classes and I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so fits. I just, I, yesterday, Wednesday, I was sworn in as a licensed paralegal practitioner. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yes. I am one of four. It's a new legal profession in Utah. And oddly enough, I'm going to be practicing in family law. (laughs) It fits right in there with priests. It's like, it's like dovetails perfectly in there. So it's, it's all just, you know, and I'm starting my own practice and, and I, I just feel like I'm just a little bit 
you know, I'm going to have to sit down sometimes and say, okay, negative voices, you can have 15 minutes, go. <laughs> and then, okay. And then get out of you're here. You're done. You're done. You're done. Sit down and be quiet. I'll give you 10 minutes maybe next time. <laughs> well, and I, I love this about you because just thinking of your whole story and how you graduated from high school with, you said, I think a third grade yeah. you know, yeah. education, uh, then to going from navigating through difficult relationships and parenting and all these church dramatic moments, <laughs> dramatic moments with church, um, to then making a decision for yourself that then sparked a lot of other decisions as yeah. far as faith goes. But then you also were going back to school at the same time, and now you're starting your own practice. So I don't know. I just feel like you are <laughs> the poster child, the poster woman for hashtag made it. You know, it's just I love it. <laughs> Wait till I'm actually making, you know, a, I'm actually making, you know, a steady amount of money before we say made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting your own business. I know. It's, it's like... Gotta be rough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so scary because you know I mean I start thinking these you know the voices I sit down and let them let them have their have their moments. You're an idiot. You're gonna fail. You're 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 just gonna humiliate yourself. How what makes you think you can do? You know it's like oh so <laughs> you're gonna do great though. I hope so. <laughs> oh. <sighs> So, Laura, just a couple more questions. Um, I, I'm interested to know what drew you to Community of Christ. So when you were talking about United Church of Christ, which, by the way, I've said multiple times that that might be the only, con- or the only denomination that I would, could see myself going to mm-hmm. outside of Community of Christ. Yeah. And I know that they're Congregationalists, so it varies widely. Yeah. But I hear the ones in Utah are really good. But... I'm wondering, what was it that drew you to Community of Christ over UCC? It was probably a priesthood call. I was, Mm -hmm. you know, it was like I could, you know, I could be a part of like the altar guild and sort of a limited um, lay ministry, but I really felt this un, it was this just call to ministry that, that didn't have any shape or, particular focus or anything like that. And in order to, to be a minister in the United Church of Christ, I would have had to have gone to a seminary program that they approved of, be ordained and, you know, and then be a pastor. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a pastor, but I don't know what I am. But there was this call to sort of this amphorous call to ministry that it was sort of out there and, and it, you know, it didn't have any shape, didn't have any form, didn't have any direction or anything like that. And so Community of Christ, I knew they ordained women. And and so that was something that I thought about a lot in conjunction with my deciding to join is, you know, is this, is this where that sort of that call sort of fits? Can it, is there a place for it here? And, Mm. and there is. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that, you know, it, it was, it sounds like it was obviously an intentional decision, but yeah. it, that it, the intentionality behind it was kind of this mystery and this, it, this, this image that didn't have an image, this idea yeah. that didn't have a form, like you yeah. said, and yet you kind of jumped off the cliff and dove right in, which I think takes an enormous amount of bravery. So 
Yeah, it was, and, and the UCC congregation at Battlefall was very open and affirming. And, you know, their thing that they said every, every Sunday was no matter where you are on your journey, you are welcome here. And they meant it. Mm. They lived that out. So it was, so it was really, you know, it was a good, it was a good place. And I could have, I could have, you know, sort of rested there. And I did rest there for mm-hmm. about three years. And um, as I sort of figured out what I was going to do and, and sort of all of these other challenges that I was sort of uh, dealing with in the background too. So, yeah. Yeah. So one more question and then I'll just ask you, is there anything else? So, <laughs> okay, maybe I have two more questions. Okay. The first one was what gives you hope about community oh, Christ? What gives me hope? That, oh, what gives me, everything gives me hope. You're open. Um, leadership is... There's, there's a maturity to community of Christ. They moved past some really difficult issues and, and difficult, you know, sort of broken out of some, some really rigid boxes and, and not, and didn't just shatter, you know, on the outside, moved toward a, a bigger, a bigger, more beautiful, I think, um, just theology and, and a, and an embrace of the world as, you know, a place where, we can have effectiveness. It's not, you know, that you are in the world, but not of the world, you know, and you kind of avoid it and you run away from it and you hide from it and you keep your children shielded from it. No, you go in there and you, you take yourself and your theology and your passion for the, you know, for God and you take it out into the world and you give it away and you, you know, so that's what we're, um, I, th- I feel like that we're called to in community of Christ. And I think that that's, that's an ongoing process. I, I totally get that. Um, I think one of the things I'm just going to say this, this is the gospel according to Lara here. Um, priesthood still has higher, has a hierarchy. And I'm not sure. I'm just going to throw this out here. Leadership. Priesthood has got this sort of hierarchy thing going on and there's room for improvement there. Love you. Um, work on that. So the <laughs> Mormon feminist community, I would say to all of my Mormon, fe- Mormon feminists, come and rest in community of Christ. You don't have to join. You don't have to get, you don't have to get involved. Just come and sit in the pews and let it wash over you and, and heal you and give you, give you hope for the world. Because, you know, but if you're, if you have a call, if you feel like that you have some sort of ministerial call, come here and they will help you give it shape and focus and, and a place to, to sort of step off from that and support you in your, in your growth in that. And, um, and it doesn't matter what you believe. I mean, my theology is, way out in the weeds and there are people here in the congregation who find me a little alarming but you know I love you I love you anyway <laughs> and we'll agree to disagree and I will you know listen to you and try to understand where you're coming from and not faithful disagreement that's, that's right what we're all about that's right and I will not try to tell you that you're wrong um or that I'm right because I don't know that mm-hmm. you know I don't know that and I don't care about 
being right or wrong. This is, you know, how I've experienced God. And this is kind of how this experience has formed a, an image or a vision or a way of sort of trying to understand God, um, in my experience. And if your experience is different, then that's, you know, that's wonderful. That's your experience. Experience God. Take it in. But yeah, Mormon feminists, um, there is a place for you here and we would love to have you. But I understand that there are a lot of you out there who are still soldiering on in the Brighamite community and bless you. I bless, I bless you a thousand times for every little tiny time that you speak up and feel like that, you know, even though nobody heard you, it's like speaking up is, is everything. And, um, I don't see the Brighamites changing. I do not see them say changing for several generations. But, you know, if you feel like you're making a difference in your congregation, then definitely, as long as you feel like you're doing something there and that you have a call to be there, then be there and, and be bold. So. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Anything else? Anything else that you didn't say or? I don't know. This, I feel like, you know, I just sort of sat here and just talked and talked I know. No, it was talked. good. It was good. good. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I wanted. So. Okay. Well. Oh, I got to tell you what, what Brittany, what I said at that counterpoint conference. I just like, it just sort of blurted it out. I have started a, I had started a new um, spiritual practice of going out into the, um, into the desert in, um, central Utah and just and doing, creating these, this sacred circle. You know, I would call the quarters and I would create a circle and I would, that's where I would, that's where I take my, my, my big questions. That's where I take my, my burdens. That's where I take my rejoicing. And, you know, when I have, and, and I just do that periodically as a substitute, as, as a replacement for the temple, um, as being a place that is a time outside of time and a, and a space between the worlds where it's sort of there. And then I can create that temple experience and then I can take it down and I have a special box where all of the stuff is. And I just put it in there. I take it with me every, anywhere that I want to. And it's sort of always available to me, but it's kind of like this sort of ritual of stepping outside of the normal day to day things and, and stepping into this different sort of dimension. And so I said that and I guess that caught Brittany's attention. and <laughs> It did. And the reason why it caught my attention is because I had never up until that point even considered that you could take that sort of spiritual experience or that sort of spiritual power or that you could rework prayer and make it what you need it to be. Like, And that sounds so ridiculous now. And now that I'm five <laughs> years into this, five plus years into this, uh, it seems totally normal to do something like yeah. that and to just kind of create a little altar for yourself to create a sacred space. I mean, we do that literally every single week in our congregations yeah. in one way or another, all the time at women's retreats, things like that. Yeah. But at the time, that was the first time that I'd ever even heard of anybody say something like that. Yeah. And it kind of blew my mind. And I thought, wow, <laughs> no lightning strikes, no. knocked her dead. Yeah. <laughs> She's still here. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was still a really new practice to me, and I was still kind of developing it and evolving it. And I felt a little weird about talking about it because I thought, you know, people are just going to think that I am just like this completely weird whatever, you know, go, you know, 
hang your crystals and do your mumbo jumbo and do your, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's become a really meaningful sort of part of my routine of spiritual practices. So I love it. I was so glad that <laughs> not everybody in the room thought, Oh my God, <laughs> this one is just weird. No, I was super intrigued and felt like such a baby, like it, <laughs> along my journey. It was like, wow, I have a long way to go for it. <laughs> And I still do. So, uh, well, thank you. Sure. Laura. Again, this is everything I hoped it would be. And uh, thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.